Hello and welcome to Decoding the Gurus, the podcast where an anthropologist and a psychologist listen to the greatest minds the world has to offer, and we try our best to understand what they're talking about. I'm Professor Matt Brown, and with me is Associate Professor Chris Kavanagh. Some would say the Sam Gamgee to my fro- no, not my Frodo, my Elrond. Fuck. And we're both. <laughs> <laughs> You've upgraded yourself quite dramatically from Frodo to Elrond. <laughs> I thought, screw it, just go for it. <laughs> yeah, why don't you why don't just add to my Gandalf? I'll be Sam Gamgee to your Gandalf. <laughs> I think I think Elrod's even better. But yeah, we're both wearing our big boy podcasting pants and we are ready to get to the bottom of stuff. Chris, what's going on, mate? Matt's a professor of psychology. I, I do cognitive anthropology and moonlight in psychology just for new listeners, Matt, contextualize, let them know our expertise, highlight that. Did you mention that? You said we're professors. Professors of what, Matt? <laughs> professors of what? <laughs> yeah. I'm freaking Elrond, man. I'm like a professor of everything, you know, uh, the history of the Middle Earth, and the, the rings of power and wood magic. That's you, all within I, my bailiwick. You've preempted something I wanted to mention, Matt, in discourse chat. We're going to have a little segment at the start to talk about contemporary online discourse. But so the one which is prevalent now, we'll get to that, the slap heard around the world. But the uh, <laughs> the other one, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm just going to check, Matt. This is a test to see how much of a boomer you are. If I were to mention Elden Ring, would you know... What I'm referring to? Aha. Uh-huh. I'm going to surprise you because uh-huh. I, I have heard of that. That's okay. that's that's like uh, a first-person role-playing fantasy game, isn't it? It's third-person, but you're pretty much there. I did see on Twitter that people, like, it's hard. Like, you know, it's hard to get past yeah, some boss or something. Yeah. It's, a, it's a Demon Souls-like game. This is a, a, a thing where people die repeatedly, and that's part of the fun of it. So mm. I, I mention it not to go into gaming because I haven't played it. I've just noticed that Elden Ring discourse is a substantial part of my online Twitter sphere activity in certain respects. And then another part is the conflict in Ukraine, which which is much more serious and impactful on the world, but continues to be a a topic that attracts hot takes and terrible takes, but also legitimate interest. And the the new one, Matt, which is just entered and has currently swamped all hot takes, all attention from all sides of Twitter, as far as I can see, from all sides of the discourse, is the... Oscars and Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. Mm-hmm. It's been absolutely yeah. amazing. Amazing to witness. The incident itself pales in comparison to the wonderful plethora of takes that can be made. And it's it's the perfect incident, isn't it? It it has it all. There's something for everybody there. So if you're living under a rock and you don't know. Chris Rock made some joke that was sort of referring to some sort of hair loss and what's his name's wife? What's his name? Will Um, Smith. Will Smith's uh, wife sort of alluding to that. Will Smith initially seemed to find the joke funny. (laughs) 
(laughs) but his wife did not. And then Will Smith strode up on stage and gave him a good hard slap. So it's got it all. It's got, let's see, it's got... You know, hmm? that at the start doesn't sound like it should be something which is particular. I mean, like it's a, it's a, you know, a Hollywood event where something dramatic has happened and violent. So it doesn't immediately strike why this would come to completely dominate the discourse, right? Like (laughs) Hollywood celebrities get in tussle. So why is it such a cognitive attractor for takes, Matt? What are the elements Mm. that are making it attracting? Let's see if we can enumerate them. So, f- so firstly, there's um, making fun of a, is it a disability or a affliction, a, a disease? That's that's a big deal. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's one. That's that's one take that can be made. How bad that is. The second one is, of course, the violence, right? Um, yeah. Machismo and male violence. Toxic masculinity. Um, toxic masculinity. There we go. And a deeper a layer is that these were two African American men, and yep. um what on earth could, you know, white people would not understand this. Oh, there's another one, which is comedians. <laughs> comedians being cancelled for making jokes and us all having very thin skins about jokes. That's that's four. Are there any other layers you can think of? Uh, oh, yeah. There's the, the meta contextual one about Will Smith and his wife having very public agreements as part of their marriage about open relationships, but the, the, the extent to which they're open is, you know, it's it's all very non-traditional and a little bit odd. They, they, it, it seems that they have agreements about being able to sleep with other people, but they're not necessarily in complete agreement. Will Smith has talked about the appeal of harems. And some other guy that his wife was dating was saying that Will Smith gave him permission, and that led to conservatives uh, ranting about him being a cock. So there's that aspect, him defending his wife's honor and the potential contradiction that they have both publicly besmirched each other's honor in the views Mm. of the commentariat. Okay, but all of this is details, mere details. The important thing is, is that this incident has turned out, not surprisingly, to be just the perfect discourse Rorschach test for every single opinionator in the world to reveal whatever brain worms wriggling around in their skull at the present time. So it's been like a, I described it as a a bonfire of the takes, which I was quite pleased with because it's just amazing they've been throwing themselves on this incident like brave soldiers onto a live grenade making <laughs> one terror exceeding each other in the terribleness of their takes bridget fetacy and now this is just a limited selection because there's literally an infinite number of them but some of the good ones i've seen bridget fetacy said that this means that we've reached the inevitable conclusion of words are violence so this is a this okay. is a comment on this is a comment yeah. on see this is see that you see you see it's woke culture Chris that mm. um, and oh my God so Peter Coffin has has bravely uh, had taken a shot at Will Smith's wife saying so Jada is an abusive partner is what the world just learned yeah, yeah. interesting yeah. one. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, now now look I'm sure look there are so many oh no, no this is a good one for a bit of hyperbole Judd Apatow. He could have killed him. 
that's pure out of control rage and violence. They've heard a million jokes about them in the last three decades. They are not freshmen in the world of Hollywood and comedy. He lost his mind. That's good. I like the. I like there was the a there. there was a variation of that by Emily Porter, MD, that said, "Just a reminder that if Will Smith had slapped Betty White for a joke she made, however insensitive, she easily could have fallen backward, cracked her skull, and died of a brain bleed. Same with Bob Saget. Obviously, violence is never okay." I'm team take it back. Yep, yep, yep. Now, can Chris, can we read Eric Weinstein's uh, tweet? Uh, we have to. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> can we please? <laughs> so Eric Weinstein. There are limits to comedy. Not everything is fake. Not all masculinity is toxic. Violence is sometimes the answer. I know nothing about what happened at the Oscars, but many of my followers disagree with all of the above. How? I don't know. We just became simplistic. It's just, that is, that is just such that's a rare still... tweet. That's a rare tweet. Yeah. That's, that's the essence. This is what I mean by it being a Rorschach test. Like that's the essence of Eric right there. Uh, can so I good. give you Coleman Hughes? I think this one is a pretty culture brain pilled one. Mm. There are people who think a single slap is too severe a punishment for an offensive joke, but in other contexts, insists that getting social media mobbed and fired is just the right amount of punishment. Mm. Yep. <laughs> I love it. I love it. In fact, I, I read like a third... <laughs> People will be questioning the way I choose to spend my time, but I read a 20-tweet thread about how this illustrated oh. like different types of class cultures and how you know middle-class people don't understand the kind of honor culture that's involved and what motivated the slap and how that's very important. So it, it sort of delved into this deep take about victim culture and honor culture. Um, it, it was uh, it was a deep, deep cut. And we're no better, Matt. We're no better because we <laughs> no. are we're like in the we're now like meta connoisseurs of the the commentary it takes. So we're like the only way to win in this environment is not to play. <laughs> it's not to play. <laughs> I know you I like I still think you know, if you're going to do something and you're not going to escape this discourse, I, I hope it's just a wave that crashes oh. over and disappears in a day or two. Hopefully that's the trajectory. Um, but in in that case, your best thing is to just surf the discourse wave. You don't need to, you don't need to add to it. There's too many flavors for you to sample. Just, just <laughs> surf it. Surf it along the top. And there's things which haven't come yet, which are definitely coming. So Matt mentioned when I am... <laughs> introduced them to this, that there will be the tweet archaeology or career archaeologists who now need to dig for everything that Will Smith has previously said to find mm. where he has made an offensive joke and was not slapped. That's coming. So is deeper dives on Will Smith's somewhat eccentric children, his son mm -hmm. Jaden in particular where like various grilled tea previous declarations of being a vampire, he's definitely going to enter the discourse. So, so it's yeah. all coming. 
And I, for one, am here for it. I'm planting my flag in the sand right now that the archaeology will commence. Will Smith will be revealed to be a hypocrite, which is, of course, the worst possible thing one can be. Yeah. Um, and lots of fun will be had by everyone. Look, my theory is, is that it's um, serving a vital psychological function, which is a relief from reality because most people like True. you, I know, and me too, have been ruminating on the terrible things that are happening in places like Mariupol. And even though it is kind of obscene that the discourse on violence is focusing on a slap at the Academy Awards rather than yeah. dead, dead bodies in the street in Mariupol, perhaps psychologically people just need to spin their wheels for a little while. Yeah, I, th I think that's probably part of it, to be honest. And to to escape from Will Smith discourse, however, temporarily. We did have some recommendations for podcasts this week, which relate more to the Ukraine crisis than they do to Will Smith, which is good. And I've just, I've seen so many, so many terrible culture war pilled brain takes on the conflict in Ukraine. And as a result, it's just refreshing to find coverage that is not engaging in the worst part of Twitter excesses or culture war takes. And for those purposes, there is a podcast you recommended to me, Matt, called When Diplomacy Fails. Now, this podcast, I should emphasize, is not actually focused on the conflict in Ukraine. They just had one episode where it discussed it, but it was very refreshing because it essentially, to me, offered a very sensible and historically informed take about the conflict, but it, it's not doing a deep dive on that topic. It's more focused on European history and um, World War One and the 16th and 17th century. And it's, it's really well researched. It's an Irish guy that adds a big benefit to it. And it's, it's just these massive in-depth historical dives on historical conflicts when democracy is failed, as the title suggests. And it just, you know, it's one of those cases where it makes it clear that most of the narratives that you receive about history are far too shallow. And if you actually mm. want to get into events, they're, they're messy. There's tons of stuff going on um, and it, it's good. So if you like hardcore history, I think you would find this podcast revealing. And obviously Russia features heavily in World War One and World War Two, So it helps contextualize events and the historical conflicts that is and so on. So there is asp that aspect to it. So yep. hardly recommend that. Yep. When Diplomacy Files, very good. And yeah, the other podcast um, I want to recommend, I've, I've only heard like four episodes of this. It's called War on the Rocks. It was running a long time before the Ukrainian thing, but obviously has tended to focus on it. It's like a military type strategic podcast, but it, it seems to me to, they have very realistic expert guests on who give a unvarnished and pretty pretty clear picture updates essentially on how things are progressing over there and i found that uh quite informative it's not it's not encouraging one particular view or another it's more a realistic description of this is what's happening so that's useful as well war on the rocks yeah and and last matt i'll just mention that i came across uh, it was actually a recommendation on when diplomacy fields called 
Monocle 24. It, oh. it has coverage of the Ukraine conflict and I find it informative and, and non-hyperbolic and, you know, pretty straightforward, but in-depth coverage of what's going on. So those are three podcasts that maybe are, if your choice is to consume that or the dark horse or Jordan Peterson's the start, but maybe, maybe you should choose the former rather than the latter. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So I listened to that too. Monocle 24, the foreign desk. It's got, it's got good, just more news oriented, but detailed updates. It's got a bad name though. It can't, it, it sounds like an aristocratic, like elite. It's not a, not a good name. Monocle 24, but it is good content. So just don't yeah. let the name put you off. No, not at all. Not at all. So well, what's next? Uh, so we have today an interview with a guest who is, this is actually the introduction because later this week, we're going to have the second part, which is a joint decoding with the current guest who is Elgin Street from the Falling Out podcast. So this interview will kind of introduce Elgin, what he does, what his podcast about is about, and will serve also as a, an, uh, another introduction. I can't think of another word. I'm just going to repeat introduction for the second part, which will be a decoding episode that we do with Elgin as a guest host, looking at some content from Reverend Moon of the Moonies, the Unification Church. Yeah. So another historical decoding, uh, decoding of a historical figure who, um, not so much a secular guru, but certainly a guru. Yeah. So we haven't done that many of them. I, I guess really only Anthony DeMello and Carl Sagan are the previous two who fall into this category, but this is a, a guru guru. So it's, it's useful for calibrating our guru metric insights. But before that, let's introduce you to Elgin. Okay. So we have with us now Elgin Street from the Falling Out podcast. So welcome, Elgin. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm a fan of your show and it's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, the feeling is reciprocal. And actually, I think I became aware of your show when you appeared on QAnon Anonymous and they had yep. the extended episode with you. And they had just before that covered the group who I always forget. I think when we spoke last time, I asked you the name as well, but the offshoot of the many. Yeah, they go by a couple of different names. One of them is Sanctuary Church. One of them is the Rod of Iron Ministries. They probably go by a few other ones, quite honestly. That's a recurring theme is the ever-changing carousel of, of names for these things. But those are some of the names that they go by. Yeah. And for our listeners, we'll have talked about this in the intro, but the Falling Out podcast is a podcast about leaving the Moonies, the guest cult group and all their cults as focusing on people, primarily children who grew up within the movements and particularly the Moonies. But I think this season you're expanding out to look at other cults. I'm, I'm starting to, yeah, I'm starting to, to cast my gaze there. I speak the language of the Moonies for, for better or for worse. So that's what I'm familiar with. There are a lot of similarities 
And when you talk to people who've left cults, a lot of the reasons they leave is just listening to other people who left other cults and they can spot the similarities. So there's a lot of learnings to be shared. I just haven't quite gotten there yet because I'm just really been focused on shedding light on the corruption and abuse and hypocrisy of the environment that, that we all grew up in. Yeah, I have to say that the, the podcast involves interviews with other non-adults who grew up in, in the Moonies. And some of the episodes are quite tough, but it, it's a really interesting resource. Um, and Elgin, the normal thing that people, when they're interviewing people, do is ask at the start, about who you are and what you do. And I suspect a lot of people will have heard of the Moonies and have a vague idea, but probably similar to me, there'll be a lot of details they're not clear on. So could you introduce the the podcast and the, who the Moonies are as well um, for people who don't know? Yeah, absolutely. I'll talk about the Moonies first and then I'll talk about the show. So the Moonies is a cult. Obviously, they don't like it if you call them that, but that is the case. And they are one of the most infamous ones. They were founded by a guy, unsurprisingly, with the last name Moon, Sun Myung Moon. He was born in North Korea in 1920. And he claims he had a revelation one day that effectively was a message from God telling him that some quite heretical things, quite honestly, in the grand scheme of like Christianity, basically saying that, God, where do I even begin with this? But okay two core tenets. One of them is that effectively Jesus failed in his mission and Jesus was meant to, to marry and have a family. And therefore, because Jesus was crucified, he failed in his mission. The, the entire course of human history had been building up to including like massive wars and movements of people and stuff like that. All that was building up to, you'll never guess, the so-called providential conditions to be met, to be set for the Messiah to be born in Korea. And you'll never guess who God told Moon should be the Messiah. Surprise, surprise. It was him. And yeah, so I think he was 16 when that happened. He, he claims he had a revelation that God told him he was the Messiah, basically. And as part of that, I think, and this ties into the theology behind the whole thing, is it's a bizarre mix of extremely puritanical beliefs on sex combined with an extremely sort of like graphic fixation on sex by the whole leader. And I, I guess what I mean by that is all of human suffering was caused by Adam and Eve having sex with each other when they weren't supposed to. And actually, just to drill into that a little bit, technically, it was actually Eve having sex with Satan and then having sex with Adam. That's a wrinkle <laughs> slightly yes. I hadn't heard of. <laughs> I, it doesn't surprise that you haven't heard of that. And so uh, effectively, all of human suffering started from that moment of these people having sex when they weren't meant to. And according to church theology, when Moon eventually achieved his position as so-called Messiah, he was able to change the sinful blood lineage of people and therefore by virtue of my parents both being members of his church and having their blood lineage change, according to him, I have special magical blood that makes me a so-called pure, sinless, second-generation Mooney. What about Chris, for instance? How, how's his blood? It, it would be tainted. It would mm. for sure be tainted, yep. according to the Moonies. That's, that's accurate. <laughs> I can confirm. But how, however, there's levels of taintedness. Technically, I now would have more tainted blood than Chris would or Matt would because I left 
and I, I broke my layer. I can tell you about it, but I had an arranged marriage within the cult. I left that arranged marriage. And by virtue of leaving that arranged marriage, technically I have like the worst blood in the world. Mm. And I will be going to I'm sorry. a, a worst. <laughs> if Moon is to be believed, I will be going to a worse place in hell than Satan or Hitler for my sins. They're pretty bad guys. And that's yeah. <laughs> seems slightly unfair, but well. Should we, should we really be having you on as a guest on our show? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, okay, um, so so no, they don't like most cuts. They don't like it when people leave. Let me another quick yeah. explanatory question. Um, yeah. When I was doing some some reading about yeah. the minis to to prepare, it reminded me a lot of the Mormon Church or the Church yeah. of. Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, in the sense of being that new kind of offshoot of Christianity and having that founder who got the divine mission and a lot of crazy. Yep. Very similar. Down. Yeah, like Joseph Smith in the Mormons, like he claimed he went up a mountain one day and came down and found some tablets that told him that he was the Messiah. And then when you ask him to show you the tablets, he's like, oh, well, I, I don't know. I can't, what, I don't have them or uh, what, you know, whatever, surprise, surprise. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah it's yeah. the same thing. I, I think so. South Park sort of educated <laughs> the world about the Mormons with that yeah. episode. Well, I'll have to do an episode on the unification. Yeah, they, I would love point, it. But. I would love it. But I want to go back to like, yes, technically it's a religious cult. That's sort of, that's where its foundations are. And as a result, it enjoys religious protections as many religions and cults do. But it abuses those protections massively, insanely. And so I guess to give you some context there, I mean, this is an organization with hundreds of front groups that, they, you know, they, they shut down, but they come back in different forms. And it's really hard to keep track of. It's like a hydra. You, you chop off one head and then 10 more appear. But it's all effectively funded by labor trafficking. It's funded by people who are coerced into living in vans going around selling trinkets, being convinced that spiritually they will be rewarded if they are good fundraisers going out and, you know, selling trinkets on the side of the road uh, or doing various other like door-to-door -door sales type of things. They're, they're still sending teenagers out now uh, on these, these vans around the country in the U.S. They were sending them out during the COVID pandemic. That didn't stop them. There are kids who have died as a result of doing this sort of work. Uh, a girl in 2001, an 18-year-old girl, was raped and murdered. We talk about that on my show. I haven't mentioned her name on the show, but there are new sources out there that I can refer people to if anyone is interested. This is not a harmless religion. This is a place that exploits people tremendously. And people have died. There are other kids who have died as a result of the of the exploitation. And the entire environment is incredibly, incredibly abusive. And that's something that I'm trying to expose on my show. And one thing that I've noticed on the show over time, to be honest, when I first started, I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know what the final sort of output would be. And it's still changing, but it feels like what it is, is painting this, this cumulative picture of all these people who are in an organization that intentionally tries to hide the truth. It puts up walls and makes people scared to talk about what's happening to them and, and how they feel about what's happening to them. And by just allowing people to talk about what happened to them, you're painting this huge picture and all of a sudden people can see beyond the silos and they're like, holy shit, I was suffering in silence and I thought it was just me, but actually no, the whole thing, the whole thing is corrupt and abusive. And that's what you can do by bringing these stories 
to light. So o- over time, that's what I hope the impact of the show will be. I, I will say, Eldon, from listening to the show, that it does two things simultaneously that I think are important. So one is, in some sense, it's a little bit like listening in on therapy for mm-hmm. people because you're making sense of experiences that you've went through and, and having these quite raw discussions with people who are processing what happened to them and also discussing parallels or things that were yeah. different that were experienced. And and that's that's I think that's really valuable. But for someone like me or other listeners who aren't familiar with the details and, and basically don't know what it's like to grow up in that kind of environment, it gives insight into what people go through and basically the the damage that can be done to people over the course of a lifetime. And you can imagine that people, and I'm not saying that this response is unjustified, but you can imagine that a lot of people find when they hear details about the Moonies like kind of funny or mm-hmm. unbelievable because it's the same thing as when you hear some of the claims about Joseph Campbell looking into the hat and, and reading the things. I think it's legitimate to point out what they are, but I think your podcast is really important as a resource to show the impact that the Moonies had and has on people. And also basically just to give people an insight onto the impact that growing up in in a cult environment can have on people. And I, I remember thinking when I came across your podcast that I had previously been interested in Stefan Molnew and his community, mm. not as a follower, just to, just to be clear, <laughs> but as an internet figure. And I found a forum, which no longer exists, unfortunately, which was from ex-members talking about their experiences joining his online cult and reading their accounts. It was all online, which was very eye-opening to me. So I, I felt the parallel there to, okay, this yeah. gives you an insight into what people have gone through. So yeah, I, I think your podcast definitely succeeds on those fronts. And uh, I know it's awkward when people praise <laughs> people to the face, but I think you're doing something very valuable. So yeah, it, it achieves what you're setting out, at least from my perspective. Thank yeah, thank you. And I, I guess for me, the best thing is like, I know people have left the cult as a result of listening. I've kind of lost count of the number of people who have contacted me and say, hey, thank you so much. I've left now as a result of listening to the show, that's the most gratifying thing in the world. And recently I I learned of, I think two cases where it was parents with young kids who were now leaving. So by them leaving, they're going to get the the next half of their life back, but they're also giving their kids their entire lives back away from this cult. So that has been extremely gratifying to hear that. And if you want to keep doing, I'm doing something right. I'm not a professional, but something's working. So I just, just want to keep doing it. Just before it goes out of my head, you mentioned in your description there about people being sent out to sell trinkets and or, or, yep. or doing like door-to-door sales. Yep. And yep. that the parallel that immediately struck me there is the structure of multi-level marketing. So... Is getting unpaid labor from members at the foundational, I know like you don't have access to the, the, the financial reports, of, yeah. but is that the main kind of financial support for the group, unpaid labor from members? Uh, that's a great question. That That is a massive layer of financial support, but there are 
many others as well. Um, there is a massive grift that they have going on in Japan. It's been going on for decades now, and they actually went to court, I think it was in the mid-90s, where they would effectively go door to door. I mean, it's still at the end of the day, it's, it's a bit of door to door, but the way that they're selling is they would find like widows who, who had recently lost a spouse and they would go to them and, and say, oh my God, I'm like, I'm currently channeling your, your husband from the spirit world. And he's telling me that you need to pay $50,000 for this little like statue to go in your house so that he can be in a good place in heaven. And they would go and unfortunately people were susceptible to this, this sort of coercion. So they would sell these little probably $10 trinkets to people for $50,000 under extreme levels of, of coercion and, and manipulation. And I think at the time, I'll need to go back and, and, and look at this, but I think it was estimated they were making about $300 million a year doing that. And this was in the 90s. So that's just one, they effectively traffic in marriages so they hold these mass wedding ceremonies in principle to, according to them, to spread the blessing of, of Reverend Moon's lineage, but they're also making a shit ton of money out of those. So, you know, they're getting a few thousand people together. Those few thousand people are all coerced into paying a couple thousand bucks per person as a fee for this wedding. So they're making a few million just in a single day off of that. Um, there are many, 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 many grifts. They're also massive in the sushi business. I don't know if you saw recently, but the New York Times recently did a, an article about how Reverend Moon in the 70s more or less created the market for sushi in the US and later in most, re most Western countries. So let me just drill into that and I'll tell you what it, is, what it is built on. So there's a company in the U.S. now, it's called True World Foods. They supply about 90% of the sushi in the U.S. and a large portion in Europe. So if you're eating sushi anywhere in those countries, chances are it, the money is going to, to the Moonies in some capacity. And it was that business was started primarily by Japanese church members who were brought to the U.S. in the 70s and 80s. And the way that they were brought there was specifically by Moon doing mass weddings and marrying them to Americans and other Westerners. So all of a sudden, he created this conduit whereby he could basically circumvent labor laws by just marrying people and then all of a sudden get them a visa. So he just imported a mass workforce from Japan to start with, and then he paid those people bullshit basically for years. So there are stories from that sushi business over the course of decades where they would have two sets of books, one set of books for the church members that work there uh, and one set of books for the non-church members. So there are two sets of payments. Church members were paid far less and yeah, they were just exploited massively and that still persists to this day. Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of a lot of organized crime, really, which, which yes. has its primary methods of illegal, coercive income raising, yeah. but then can transition into legitimate, inverted commas, businesses as well. And it, I guess the other parallel, of course, is with uh, Scientology, which again, yeah. people will be more familiar with and the methods of coercion and persuasion. And even, you know, people usually refer to it, obviously, as brainwashing. So, so I guess what I'm really interested in from our point of view is these yeah. methods of persuasion yes. that they use. Now, L. Ron Hubbard it was famously charismatic and it kind of started with him. But what about Sun Young Moon? Was he particularly charismatic? 
That's what people say. <laughs> but I've seen videos of him, but I've also been in the same room as him multiple times. And so I, I think he started out being charismatic. I, I think he had to be to pull off what is the con of the century, in my opinion. But over time, I think he was probably in his 70s and 80s when when I was like old enough to be aware that he was who he claimed he was. I think he was getting a bit old and senile and he just seemed like a raving lunatic. But the interesting thing was for me is sitting in a room of us sort of second generation people as well as first generation people in a room with Moon. And you could almost see um, basically all, all the first generation people. These are people who had personally drunk the Kool-Aid themselves. So they had, for whatever reason, decided that this guy was their messiah. They had fallen prey to his manipulation and his supposed charisma. And they're looking at the same person that all of us people who never made that choice were, but were just told that this guy is the guy. And the the looks on everyone's faces are vastly different. Like the parents are completely enraptured by this guy. And all the, the kids are looking around like, what the fuck? This guy, yeah. this guy, this guy is nuts. So that memory always comes back to me. It's like being in the room and just, I don't know, some people swallowed the pill and they just, they, they once you swallow it, you can't get out yeah. of that mindset or it's very difficult. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I guess in any case, for within an organization that large, most of the persuasion doesn't depend on the leader themselves, at least after the yeah. initial stage. It yeah. depends on them, the methods that are used to get new members and to ensure that existing members are indoctrinated properly and follow the line. So, yeah, I read about something called, you know, this love bombing, and maybe you, you could tell us the kinds of ways in which they would persuade people to be true believers. Yeah. Well, so I'll tell you what I know, and this is almost kind of secondhand because I was born into it. I can, I can tell you a little bit about that, but let's start at the beginning, which is how people become members to begin with. So it typically starts with someone being approached at uh, a college campus. Like most cults, they, they tend to target people who are young, who are in transitionary periods uh, in their lives when they are more susceptible to this sort of thing. That's common across pretty much all cults. The way it starts is usually a member of the opposite sex will come will come up to you. It tends to be pretty highly, I don't know the exact number, but it's something like they've done studies on this of like people who join cults. Most of them, the first point of contact is a member of the opposite sex. And there's something in that like just innate sort of sexual tension of someone walking up to you on the side of the road and striking up a conversation with you that lets people's guard down and makes them just more, a little bit more susceptible in, in that first instance. Yeah. So, yeah. It usually starts like that. And someone will invite you to, I don't know, an event with something like almost like impossible to disagree with. Like we're, we're going to hold a, a world peace and culture event at our communal house. Okay. Sounds, sounds interesting. We're going to hold a cultural night. Like you should come to a dinner at our, at our cultural night. And that's kind of what it seems like. And you go there and there might have some people playing some music and you might have a potluck or a barbecue or something like that. And it just seems like a bunch of nice young people hanging out, you know, singing songs and stuff like that. A very kind of like kumbaya type of experience. And and that's where the love bombing starts, right? Like you, you're there and you all of a sudden you feel like, oh, wow, you know, you're singing the songs. People are probably like holding hands, putting their arms around each other, just sort of feeling it might seem strange to you, but you are feeling this like love and affection of people who are strangers at that point. That's how it starts. You let your guard down and then they say, okay, oh, we're, we're actually holding a workshop, you know, this weekend. Why don't you come to our, our offsite place? So sometimes it's like, it's a two day event. Sometimes it's a three day, sometimes it's a seven day. I d just depends on, on the setup, but they will then try and 
get you away from wherever you are to some sort of secluded place. So they had a big ranch out in California, outside of San Francisco back in the day. They had a lot of places and they'll take you there and you will be cut off from your friends and your family. And it, they will start again with the love bombing. It'll be a lot of kumbayas, a lot of let's go play some games, you know, barbecues, that sort of stuff. looks like a lot of fun and games. And it, it looks like summer camp for, for adults, basically, is kind of the way it starts. And again, there's a lot of love in that environment. But, you know, you're in this, you end up in this isolated place. And then the love bombing continues. It still feels like an adult summer camp. But they start saying, oh, we're going to have these lectures. And the lectures or I should also say, you're not sleeping a lot in these environments. Sometimes diet is controlled as well. So they're kind of systematically wearing you down a little. They're wearing you down with the, with the love bombing, but also they're wearing down your core human systems, your your diet's starting to suffer, your sleep is starting to suffer. And then they start giving you lectures. First lecture of the Moon's book is called The Divine Principle. First lecture is called The Principle of Creation. It, it starts pretty innocuously, quite honestly, in the grand scheme of things, especially in the grand scheme of everything that we've talked about. But it, it starts there and then it starts adding more and more and more um, and the lectures get more and more intense and it all kind of leads to a buildup. Um, again, you're, you're in this environment where your systems are being broken down. People are, are bombarding you with love endorphins, basically. And in that environment, after breaking you down over a number of days, there's kind of like the big reveal, which is mood is the Messiah. And that's kind of the moment where obviously I, I haven't been in that scenario myself, but that's where people either stay or go at that moment. I, you know, hope, I'm sure some people left when they got to that point in the program, but a lot of people stayed as it says, clearly my parents stayed, many other, many other people stayed. And then at that point, I mean, I, I've heard stories of people as soon as they basically, they get to that point and then they're asked, like, do you want to commit your life to Reverend Moon and to God's providence? And some of these people a week ago, they were on their college campus. And now in the last week, they've gone through what I've just described. And someone is saying, do you want to commit your life to Reverend Moon? Some of them will say yes. And they'll be encouraged to sign a piece of paper to say so. I think there's an important contrast there. And this is part of Eldon. We'd be interested to talk to you in general. I think could talk to you for hours just about your experiences. But the contrast between what you're describing and the level of buy-in that is required for the secular gurus that we cover. Mm. This seems like an important distinction because what you're talking about is a requirement of an increasing level of commitment and getting more deeply involved. Whereas for a lot of the people that we cover, you know, it varies, depends on the person, but that model isn't there, right? They don't demand mm. very much just your attention yeah. and perhaps yeah. your like Patreon support. But I think that might be an interesting distinction that's common to the difference between the kind of people that we are covering and maybe yeah. the contemporary and historic cult movements. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's, but I have to say one thing that you guys do that I, I kind of want any Mooney to listen to is like, you know, you guys come at this from an academic perspective. And, you know, when you're talking about ex guest, you'll basically point out like, you know, these are the logical missteps that this person is making. There's an ad hominem attack, like what, okay, like even just knowing what that is, a lot of Moonies probably wouldn't even know what that meant. And so 
I feel like actually having a background in the sort of thinking that you guys do. And I actually, I, I love just taking the piss out of people. And if anyone needs to have the piss taken out of them, it's Moon as well as all the other guys that you've taken on. I just, I, I like the idea of just trying to like take the guy down a peg and the way that you guys do it, I just think is really interesting for people from my background who may not have that sort of academic approach, but I do feel like it's actually very valuable. And if people would spend a little bit of time there, they might learn something and those things might help them to spot the similarities between, you know, Moon and some of these other gurus and then maybe be like, oh, I mean, I should change something about my life. So I guess mm. all I just say, I feel like there are a lot of similarities and that's what kind of led me to think that we should connect. Yeah, well, uh, a lot of the things you described about the indoctrination process for the Moonies is uh, classic coercive yeah. persuasion, classic brainwashing techniques, the, the stuff yeah. you described, the, that sort of controlling the social and physical environment so yeah. that there's like nothing else and gradually wearing people down and the restricting sleep, of course. <laughs> just yeah. like So that whole, total, like you talked about it being a totalizing or, or a total type of thing. That's So it's totalizing in every respect, isn't it? It's yes. like, there's no time for anything else. There is no dissent. Like everyone around yeah. you is 100% on yeah. board. And, and it takes advantage of the fact that we are social creatures, right? And we are all strongly influenced by our, our social environment. So if you can control that environment, given enough time, you can control the person. Matt, you're here voluntarily. That's all. I just want to make that clear to everyone. I, I, <laughs> you're drawing parallels that are slightly too strong. <laughs> I, I, d I did note some of the similarities because uh, it is very early in the morning and Chris does kept me up late last night and um, but I don't you're seem free, to have any social life anymore. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, that's all that, I'm, I'm sure Sung Young Moon said this. Yeah, this, yeah. this interview has been a mistake. We yeah. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah. He, he loved telling people how much he was suffering on their behalf. That was That was his thing. He would tell them how like, he said he only slept like three hours a night for decades, basically. Uh, yeah, like that sort of thing. Oh, that sounds like no, no, Matt, before you, you tried to paint me as a, a burgeoning sunburned, the person on this podcast who often mentions their suffering for their art, who has endured six hours of Joe Rogan, lest we forget. Yeah, it's not me. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, right. there's plenty, plenty of blame to go around. All right. Okay. So back on yeah. point, um, did, did you want to jump in there, Elgin? Oh, no. So I actually just wanted to, you say, Chris, you said something about, about MLM earlier, multi-level oh, yeah. marketing and the similarities. So I was indoctrinated in, in the Unification Church throughout my entire childhood. I'm going to come back to that in a second, but specifically on MLM. So I kind of mentally left when I was around 18. So I was still in college. And when I was in college, a friend of mine had joined an MLM and invited me to there to like the MLM event. And so I went there. Have you guys ever been to one of these things? Mm. No. <laughs> okay. Mm. Okay. So I went there and they basically, you know, they're trying to pitch you to become a member of the MLM and they have all these like success stories that they're pitching. And then it, it all kind of builds up to when they're like their top producer is going to come and give a motivational speech. And everyone is talking about it. Everyone's like, oh man, Mr. X is going to come. It's going to be great. Can't wait to see him. And I see the looks on these people's faces. And I'm like, I know that look. I know mm. I, I have seen that before. And then when Mr. X, I forget his name because this was a long time ago, but when he trots out and the music starts blaring and he gets on stage and everyone starts clapping completely enthralled by him. It's the same thing. The, like the alarm bells were ringing in my head and I was like, no, nah, I've seen this all before. 
this is identical. The type of adoration that people have for this guy is the same. It's, it's the exact same thing that the Moonies have. That's really interesting because you can think about it in a way about people who are survivors of cults that they've built up an immune system that recognizes when there's oh, yeah. the potential danger. And uh, I think that's part of the reason why, you know, your podcast is very useful in that respect for people who haven't gone through that experience and can parasitically get yeah. some of the insight. But I I was thinking, Elgin, about the point that you made uh, a bit earlier about this kind of trajectory of charisma, right? That like maybe in the early stages, being this charismatic figure is quite important. But after mm. you've amassed your following, you don't need to try so hard. And there's lots of people I can think of that fit that, like Sylvia Brown. I don't know if you know her. She was like a, a psychic person who communicates with the dead in America and yeah. became very famous for going on Oprah or that kind of thing. Okay. And apparently was once quite a proficient cold reader. So throwing out questions and getting the audience to give her details, right? And then she'll say, oh, mm. I hear, you know, I hear a tea and the, get the people to elicit the information for you. As she got older, she just was like famously short and she went on TV and there were parents trying to look for the missing child. And she was just mm. like, the kid's dead. He's thing. And it, it turned out the kid was not dead. This is why it became a, a famous case. But like. She didn't need to be charismatic anyway. She just threw yeah. out very straight things. And that point about in the gurus that we look at, when I see Jordan Peterson, for example, now, he's become quite belligerent. And especially with the trucker convoy, in a way yeah. that I think if he'd emerged like that, people wouldn't have had yeah. such a, a degree of tolerance for him. And you, on the QAnon Anonymous episode, there were some extracts played from a talk that Moon gave about yeah. ultimate sex, perfect sex, or a absolute sex. Absolute, absolute get, sex. Get it right, Chris. Get it right, Chris. <laughs> it's called absolute <laughs> sex. Yeah. yeah, I would like to ask you to explain that, but I also wanted to mention that, like, when I listened to it, apart from the insanity of what was saying, it didn't, it sounded, you know, just like not charismatic and stated in a you know lecturing tone and stuff and there wasn't much of an attempt to draw people in it was just somebody just talking about what is ultimate no wait absolute yeah. <laughs> sex uh, yeah in in a way as if like they don't really need to convince people they're just going to tell you the way it is yeah i, I know what you and i almost I, I would almost describe it as as hostility in yeah. his approach there like it was almost like so i guess number one i was in the room when that when that speech happened in in washington dc uh so <laughs> and that was one of those moments when i was looking around like what the what the fuck is this what what, what is happening here ma have, do you know what absolute sex is just out of curiosity <laughs> um i i read <laughs> references to this but i i certainly never experienced it and i'm, I'm not entirely sure what it is so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's what uh, I thought, Matt. Are you are you asking me to 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 enlighten you? <laughs> yeah, what what are some tips? You know, so, uh, uh, no. you know it's <laughs> yeah, it's basically so. Moon, he had this. Oh God, how do you even describe it? So it's it's his view of the antithesis of so-called free sex or free love, which he he had a lot of disdain for. So I think. It, he had a lot of disdain for anything that wasn't completely like, like heteronormative monogamy, basically, because of his view that 
something outside of that caused the downfall of humanity. Uh, I'm sure it will not surprise you to hear that against that backdrop, this is a guy who was sleeping with all the women, had many different wives, many, you know, many illegitimate children, all this sort of stuff. Uh, not going to shock anyone to, to, to hear that. But on, on paper, he was all about, you know, one man, one woman for your whole life, basically. And in his view, like that was the sort of I don't even, I, I, it might even even been like a translation error or something that just couldn't even been translated from Korean correctly because it just sounds kind of weird in, in English, but almost like the idea of this is the, the purest, most like closest to God type of experience you could have is this like one man, one wife, if you've been married and blessed by Reverend Moon, basically, it's meant to like elevate your sexual experience to the next level. Um, as as someone who who has had so-called absolute sex and so-called free sex, um, I, I can tell you that there's there's no goddamn difference between the two. <laughs> so surprise, surprise. I, I do think you know that it, it sounds like if he had hired you simply to do a proofread because you know pure sex sounds much closer to the concept than absolute sex which, which sounds like you're you're advocating like a, a tantric approach that you know will, yeah. will take your 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 sexual prowess to the next level so absolute sex i i, I definitely have not experienced that <laughs> yeah it's i also, this was in his, in his waning days when I think he was going crazy. I actually, I, I, I look back on, on that tape and I almost feel like he just really, he kind of didn't even give a toss. He just, he was like, I'm just going to go out and scream at these people and whatever. I don't, I don't really care. He'd kind of, he'd kind of done everything he needed to do at that point. And I think uh, almost, almost like, you know how sometimes movie stars, they, they get like, they don't even like their fans. They, they can be, be kind of belligerent towards their fans. Um, yeah. It kind of felt like that at that point in his so-called career that's a, the i'm thinking about marlon brando <laughs> when you <laughs> mentioned that but the, that that kind of anger and i i did want to mention this as well so it's good that you brought it up that you know the washington times yeah i i think a lot of people including myself like know that that is a right-wing outlet we're not aware yeah. that it was connected with the moonies and yeah. i also on the QAnon anonymous episode that was dealing with the Iron Rod Ministries Church. Mm -hmm. The thing that might have surprised some people if they listened to that episode is this is quite a, an unusual group. It's it's got people with bullet paraphernalia all around the yeah, uh, bullet crowns. Uh, yeah, it's so it's quite crazy looking. But the thing that was notable was that you had Steve Bannon and, Steve Bannon and was there. Donald yeah. Trump. I I think yeah. was. Briefly yeah, um, Skyping in. So Donald Trump didn't speak. So there's been a split in the Moonies between one of Moon's sons and Moon's widow, along with actually, I mean, technically it's kind of split in three. There's another son who, through a series of shady legal maneuvers, actually stole all the assets, including the sushi business and a bunch of real estate that they own. It's some real kind of Game of Thrones stuff mm. is, is, has happened there. But yeah, so Bannon has spoken at the Rod of Iron events. Trump spoke at a, a mainline Mooney event in, I think it was January of last year. 
And I think he's in line to speak at another one this year. And I guess I want to shed some light on this because this is something that's been happening for decades. And the way it works is, so the Moon Empire, which is a, a criminal organization, in my view, they will host these events around the world with hosted by um, organizations with names like the International Federation for World Peace or the Universal Peace Federation or the Women's Federation for World Peace, the Summit Council for World Peace. There's, there's, liter- there's tons and tons of names and they, they always come up with new ones, but they're all relatively innocent, homeless sounding events. Um, and they will then invite big name speakers to these events and pay them a speaking fee. In many cases, the speakers don't actually even know who it's organized by. And sometimes they find out ahead of time and they pull out. Sometimes they find out ahead of time and they just kind of phone in the, the performance once they figured out what's going on. That actually famously happened with Bill Cosby in the 90s. I was I was at that speech as well. So Bill Cosby was semi-conned into speaking at this thing and he didn't really know what was happening. But once he figured it out, he, he gave a really shitty performance basically. But he still collected the fee. Um, that's important. Uh, and then, but th- yeah, um, but this is this is what's happening. So so okay, that happened with Bill Cosby. It happened with all kinds of people. But it's happening now with Trump. It happened with Mike Pence. It happened with Mike Pompeo. It also happened with Dr. Sarah Gilbert, the the inventor of the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine. Juan Manuel Barroso, the uh, former chairman of the European Council, who's also chairman uh, of Goldman Sachs right now. All of these people have, in the last eighteen months, spoken at one of these events. They've taken money which is built on the backs of kids dying during labor trafficking runs for speaking at these events. And maybe you just think like, fine, that's what political grift is. But what's happening off the back of that is the Moonies are then telling all their members, they're like, look, the world is now accepting Moon as Mm. they're accepting the legitimacy of Moon. Look, we got Pence at our our event. Trump is speaking at our our event. Trump is actually a Moonie at, at his core. He just can't come out and say it, but he's one of us. So all of these people who have any clout who speak at these events that clout is being used to perpetuate this this cycle of abuse. And that's a dynamic that I don't think a lot of people are aware of, but that is happening. That's been happening for decades. I remember that happening in the 80s when I was a kid and they were doing these events. There's two just quick things, Elgin, and then I know Matt has a, a question for you. Yeah. So what you're describing is also what Scientology does, right? It does have Scientology branded organizations, but it has like Citizens Commission on Human Rights, the way the Happiness yeah. Foundational International narco non <laughs> that's a terrible name international mm. but same kind of idea yeah and the olive parallel that came to mind was that the secular gurus we look at are always trying to bolster their credentials by speaking mm-hmm. to experts speaking to people in elite positions so there's there's this desire to to link themselves to just be in discussion and be a player in the room. So, you know, yeah. I, I think that dynamic is similar. And Matt, mm. sorry, I probably leapt in and sent you off on a tangent, but I think you had something you wanted to ask. Uh, well, um, I was going to make a similar comment. Um, that parallel that the gurus crave legitimacy. That's generally the one thing that they do truly lack and they desperately want it. And I think that's also true of the you know, these new churches or cults and so on, um, because what they really want to do is to tell their followers or tell prospective new recruits that they have privileged access to the truth. And and they do that, obviously, as much as possible by conveying absolute certainty 
in conveying their beliefs to you. You know, I'm sure you can tell us that a lot of the specific things that they are promoting, the ideas are, you know, incoherent, illogical, <laughs> nonsense. <Yeah>, absolutely. <laughs> absurd. Yeah, absolute sex is completely rationally water, watertight. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It can only be obtained with very expensive chemicals. Sorry, yeah. Um, that, uh, yeah, but I, I guess one thing we all know is that if you say something completely absurd with utter, utter certainty, it doesn't seem to matter as much as we think it um, or two. Mm, um, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so look, I mean, getting back to, to the parallels though, I think Chris yeah. is right in the sense that, you know, most of our gurus, what, what they don't have is the, is the full on totalizing worldview. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. And you know, yeah. they, they don't have mm. this like army of people. Well, some, some, some of them might, but not in the same, with the same sort of infrastructure that the Moonies do, the same level of, of organization that the Moonies do. Yeah, so they they may lack that, but it is similar. I should say one of the reasons that I started the show, and it's not the only reason, there are many reasons, but whenever Trump started his rise to power in, in the US, before he became president, but when he started his political ascendancy, those alarm bells started ringing. The same alarm bells that were ringing in, in that MLM place many years earlier, they started ringing when I saw Trump. I want to stop how, what he was saying, the way he was saying it, and how people were reacting to it. It was like, I've, I've seen this before. And that became a common rallying cry amongst us, former second generation Moonies. A lot of us started talking about it. Like, this is, this is the same thing. And yeah, like they operate in the same mode. And I think part of it is that like, well, as, as you said, that, that undying certainty, certainty of knowing that you're right and just being able to say whatever you want and say it with such conviction that no matter how ludicrous it is that someone's going to believe you. And that's the same. It's the same with Moon. It's the same with Trump and same with a lot of the gurus that you talk about, I'm sure. Yeah, I was I was working towards the same point, actually, which is that conceding that these full-on cults have taken it to, like, it's the full treatment and it's 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that, that doesn't mean that you, one can't see some of the same elements along a spectrum. And, you know, p- people call it cultishness. Uh, mm. in order to convey that idea of a spectrum. And I refer people to uh, a previous interview we've done with Amanda Montel, who's got a, mm. um, a good book called Cultish. So, um, no, I'm, so basically, I'm just totally agreeing with you that you can see some of the same elements. Um, like, let's, let's just take Trump as an example because he's well known. Mm. Yeah. There's, yeah. you know, total certainty, a lack of concern with, with the you know, truth or internal con- consistency or things being coherent. It doesn't really matter. Really building up an alternative worldview, which is sort of divergent from the rest of society and you're kind of in or you're out. And obviously MAGA leading on to QAnon, some people do go along that road. I don't think it's as totalizing as the kind of thing that that you unfortunately yeah. experienced, but it's on the same spectrum. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and I, one thing that comes to mind there is... Um, so it's well documented that people who, who leave cults are more susceptible to joining another cult later than the average person. And it's long story short, it's because they've been conditioned to to want a certain amount of structure in their life and you'll want the certain things that the cult provides. And then when they leave, some people are still craving that. And so the unfortunate reality for a lot of people who have left is that some of them get sucked back into other things that are maybe not as destructive, but still 
quite destructive. So like, it's a very common, especially amongst our, our parents' generation, a lot of them are like full on Trump, QAnon, anti-vax. They've drunk all that Kool-Aid, to use another cult term. Um, but there's a pretty like well-defined pipeline that you can see of of people adopting those viewpoints. Even some some will stay in the Moonies and then add those on top. But even some who leave the Moonies, they end up just getting sucked into that worldview amongst other destructive worldviews. Uh, yeah. that, that leads to a question I, I had for you, Elgin, about the reception of what you're doing, how it's received by yeah. current members or other second generation yeah. people that are still in the movement. Because I can't yeah. help but think about, and I, I don't know a huge amount about this topic, so I'm going on a very like superficial impression. But for instance, with second generation Scientology people, like I know Beck and, and some other famous performers were born in Scientology. And some of them have come out critical of the organization, but I would say the mm. more common thing is essentially to be defensive and to say that, okay, well, look, people are raised Christian, people are raised Buddhist or, or Muslim, and this is just a different expression of religion. So uh, you shouldn't be like, you know, it, it's stigmatizing to present it as this is an exploitive cult because I just grew up around my parents mm. doing services or whatever, and, and other people have religions that do the same thing. So I'm curious about your thoughts about whether you've experienced that kind of response from people and, and more generally mm. how your efforts have been received by people within the Moonies. Um, and I imagine in your case that you have family members and a lifetime's network of connections. Mm. And does that disappear? when you do the kind of thing that you're doing, or do you still have contact with people that are members? That's that, a lot of questions, but I'm yeah. curious. So, okay, okay. I'm, I actually want to start with the, the, the beginning of that thread where you talked about the apologist viewpoint that it was just kind of a normal thing. It wasn't that bad. Um, it, to be honest, I, I actually had that viewpoint for a long time. So I intellectually left when I was 18. Uh, I ended up accepting an arranged marriage because there was so much pressure to do it. And uh, that marriage lasted uh, for 15 years. And it wasn't a bad experience all, all in all, the, the marriage, but we ended up parting ways about four or five years ago now. But something about that experience of then, uh, so that marriage at the end of the day was still like part of the foundation of that was the cult. And so even though I felt like it wasn't that bad, it was just kind of this, this sort of kooky thing. But at the end of the day, it was, it was controlling the biggest relationship of my life. And somehow in that moment of you know getting divorced, that was the first time that I felt like I could actually look back with crystal clear eyes and not have anything colored by my experiences or the, the pressures that I felt to keep the marriage together, et cetera. And so all of a sudden I could look back and be like, what the what the hell was that? Why why did mm. I do that? Um, why did I give the first half of my life to this to this thing? This you know bullshit basically, and and I couldn't really do that without the clarity of I, I couldn't look at it honestly without the clarity of the marriage like dissolving. So all that is to say that there was a, a very clear moment in time when my perspective shifted massively. And in that moment, that's when I started reading books about other cults and taking courses. Eventually that led me to doing the podcast. But dur during that process, one particular thing really stood out to me. And we haven't really talked a lot about the 
sort of indoctrination that we underwent when we were kids. But mm. uh, suffice it to say, there was a, a lot of it in various formats. And for a long time, I felt like it was kind of like, well, the, the parents were just trying to do their best for the kids. Like they didn't really know what they were doing, but their hearts were in the right place. That that was a perspective that I had for a long time. And then um, going back to this idea of, of looking at other cults and how they might relate to yours or, or the way I was thinking, I read a book. Um, I actually couldn't even finish the book because it was quite disturbing to me personally, but I read enough of it and it was written by two sisters who had left the children of God cult which is a notorious, notorious cult. And in that book, they talk about a, a, a moment in the history of that cult where the, the leadership basically recognizes that all the parents joined and had these intense conversion experiences. Now we have all these kids, they're growing up, they're hitting their teenage year. If we don't do something to incite those same conversion experiences in them, they are going to leave. And as a result of that, thus began in the children of God, a concerted top-down effort to indoctrinate their second generation kids. And for me, that was a real epiphany because I realized that's exactly what happened to me. It wasn't a bunch of parents just trying to figure it out. It was actually a top-down indoctrination program that encompassed my entire life. And that's that's fucked up so i'm sorry like like and and i'm here to push back against that and ex and expose that and again so, so this all happened so I, I went from that apologist view to the fuck these guys view um through that <laughs> through that through that journey like i'm going to burn their fucking house down if i can through that journey and that's where i am now i'm firmly in that camp if you if you haven't picked up on that yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah that vibe is there and i i think right on but so i i threw so many questions i <laughs> to, yeah. but you you answered the the first part I, and the second part that i was curious about was the reception yep. of what you're doing given that you yeah. are in a burn it down mode how is that i, I guess not received that well <laughs> in the apologist kind of stance but so it, you know what you know what is absolutely hilarious is i have heard nothing it's actually kind of disappointing zero hate mail at at, at all like just just nothing complete silence from them no no one has said anything uh, i <laughs> a couple of things have happened apparently i've i've heard through the grapevine that the unification church is now specifically instructing people instructing members not to listen to my podcast which is great because that's just going to make more people listen to it yeah um, so i know that that's happening the, the closest thing that i've gotten to any sort of pushback from existing members was a single like facebook comment where someone had posted on facebook like a link to my to my show and, and put some comments on it i'm not reactive on facebook but this this happened and i was like tagged in it and i started looking at the comments that were there and um so a member said oh i just feel so sad for this guy that he felt so angry that, like that he he had to do this and he must be in a really like depressed and, and lonely part of his life and Oh, and they also said no good can come of this. Uh, that was specifically what they said. And and so I, I wrote back, I, I, I avoided the part where they tried to Im Im impugn my mental state, but I specifically replied back, like, look, like, can we just talk about some of the positive things that have happened here? Like multiple people have left an abusive environment that was terrible for them. Something else that that's happened is, is therapists who are treating 
second generation Moonies are now listening to the show so that they can better understand the people that they're treating, which is a huge win for me. I mean, to, to think that, you know, the show would be used in that context is, is amazing. So I put that in there as well. Like, hey, me- licensed, trained mental health professionals are using the show to provide better care to their patients who are in desperate need of it. That would appear to be a positive outcome as opposed to a negative outcome. Yeah. And that that's that's all I've heard from the existing membership. So barely anything, which again, slightly disappointed by not, not getting any hate mail. So, so Elgin, you mentioned that one of the things you like is pricking the, the hot air balloon of the mystique and the authority yeah. of, of this kind of thing and, you know, taking the piss and as Australian, yep. I'm all in favor of that, um, <laughs> especially with gurus as well. So yeah. I'm just wondering what other methods of de-persuasion, if you like, have you come across or are you trying to implement, mm. like, how would you, you know, I think about this a lot, like when you're talking to a, someone who's anti-vax, something like that, yeah. you, in many ways, you are running up against the same issues that you'd be running up against. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and actually, I have to say, so unfortunately for me, one of my family members uh, has been a staunch anti-vax person for a long time, and I've tried to engage them in a dialogue about the evidence that would support their viewpoint that has not been met well by by them as i'm sure would is not going to surprise you but their responses were identical to what we heard from people in the cult so things like oh you wouldn't understand this because you just don't have the right perspective so i I wouldn't expect you to understand this and um I, i actually pointed it out to this person and said by the way, what you're saying right now is exactly what people would say when they were leaving the, the cult that we both know we were in before. That was not met positively either. So it's a real struggle, to be honest. It's a real struggle. And I, in a sense, I just, I know it takes a lot of patience. And if you, it, like, the literature about the people who have actually been able to successfully repeatedly remove people from cults it's all about empathy and patience and trying to understand where they're at to relate to them about the things that that matter to them i find that very hard to do it's difficult especially when you're having an infuriating conversation full of circular logic and when you point that out it's just it's you get gaslit into being told that you're the bad guy all of those conversations for me tend to end up in that in that end point you're the bad guy for attacking my point of view here and yeah almost all the conversations not just anti-vax but like current moonies all this stuff like if it gets to that point then i become the bad guy for challenging things effectively Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think that's part of why the what you're doing with the podcast is valuable because you know you put the conversations on and it's not all doom and gloom right you guys have fun no as as, as much yeah (laughs) i'm not saying you It's a barrel of laughs all the time, but like you, you do joke about things and have a dark sense of humor about it, which uh, I can appreciate. I know Matt would as well. And I, I think in some respect by you putting the content up there in a podcast, it means that people can reach it when they're ready. And, and that's a, that's a valuable thing, you know, if you know that resource is available. So I'm just putting a vote for, you know, don't necessarily be disheartened if you have to deal with a, a lot of similar such conversations, because as, as I'm sure you know, Elgin, I think those things can have a like knock on effect, even yeah. if it's not immediate. 
Yeah. And yeah. I certainly, I think podcasting is a perfect method, perfect medium for this, because as you say, like I haven't asked anyone to listen to my show. I just, you know, I publish it. I put it out there. Obviously I do promotion here and there, but I've never asked a church member to listen to it. It's just, it, it's out there for people to find when they want it. I'm not going to push it in their faces. You kind of need to be ready for it. If you're starting to question things coming from an environment like that. So Elgin, you know, the format of our show, we like to find some content. Yeah. Some audio video yeah. content and, and sort of yeah. analyze the shit out of it. Um, yeah. I'm just wondering, like, I mean, but these cults are often quite secretive and things happen yeah. behind closed doors. Yeah. Are you aware of published material that will, one might analyze? Yes, absolutely. A- absolutely. I can think of a, f- a few very choice historical documents that are available in full video and audio glory. Uh, yes, there are many The the beauty of, you know, some cults, especially this one is they like to document them as much as they can. So first of all, there's a website that has like pretty much every word moon ever spoke over the course of 70 years of doing whatever he did, but there's also a lot of videos on YouTube. So yes, I can, I can recommend. Elgin, you and I have talked offline about this, but I I think it's a good time to mention to the listeners that this conversation, there's probably a lot more that we would both want to ask you about your experiences and also parallels and lack of parallels when it comes to some of the stuff that we cover in the Secular Gurus. But we plan to do another episode, assuming that you are still willing <laughs> after after interacting with I'm us. I'm willing, yeah, absolutely. Where we, we do that, we look at some content that you recommend of Reverend Moon and approach it in the same way with you on as, as a co-host. So yeah, just to say this has been extremely interesting. I, I could go on asking you a ton of, of questions, but unfortunately my kids will wake up and start screaming soon. It's all right. It's okay. So uh yeah, thanks very much for coming on and we'll be very happy to have you back on and analyze the man who had a trouble. I can't <laughs> yeah. wait. I can't wait. I, I cannot wait for him to get treatment from you guys. <laughs> uh, so thank you for the opportunity for this conversation, but thank you in advance for the conversation, for the opportunity for the piss take in the future. Yeah, great. So thank you very much. Yeah, yeah that'd be That's good. our super That'd be really good. And uh, look, um, congratulations, Elger, for um, getting that podcast out there. It sounds super helpful to me to just have guests on that have exited in the same way you did and sharing your experiences. I know that these things often persist through shame and secrecy and all of these things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So well done you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, looking forward to the uh, decoding. You'll have to help us. It'll be good. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. Sounds good. Um, Great. Thanks guys. Yeah. So uh, we'll put all the links in the show notes as as we usually do, but uh, the podcast is the falling out podcast and can be found on all the usual podcast the internet places so it's been a pleasure elgin and we'll continue the conversation next time thank you okay matt so that was elgin what did you what did you think oh so good i mean the guys had a a tough ride i remember when we were talking to elgin i was thinking about how that is a tough break to be born into uh, a situation like that, well, essentially being born into a cult. You didn't make any decision in your life <laughs> that led you there. You just grew up in it and you have to then figure out what to do and figure out how to get out, which uh, Elgin uh, has done. So all power to him and well done. 
Yeah, agreed. And he's pretty admirably managed to dig himself out of that situation. So um, well done to Elgin. And I'm glad that he's making the resource that he is with his podcast available for current members and also for people that, you know, have interest in the dynamics of exploitative cults and the damage that they can do. So, yeah. yeah I, I think that's the uh, best possible. If you're thinking about reaching out to people that might be in one of those situations and maybe ambivalent or on the fence or confused or whatever, then hearing from someone like Elgin is like a thousand times better than hearing from a pair of sarcastic commentators from the outside like like us. So, yeah, I think it could be really helpful to real people out there. Yeah, unlike our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As we'll see as we move to the review of reviews. So I've got some this week, Matt, but again, I'm going to start with the negative and and take us up from there. But the, the negative review, I'm aware of who this person is, so it's kind of cheating. Because I know okay. it is the partner of someone that is forced to listen to the podcast. So this, this skewers their perspective. All right. So just uh, bear that in mind. We've been foisted upon them. They're an unwilling listener. Their consent was not obtained. That's what Correct. you're saying. So th- mm. This is Annabelle1425 in Australia, Matt. Australia. And it's three out of five stars. It says, Gossip Magazine for Postdocs. Decoding the gurus is just TMZ for nerds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, where's the lie? Uh, it was, I, uh, I, I think we just got to take that on the chin. That's that's uh, that's fair. That's it, fair. You might you might infer from that the the status of the person who is forcing their significant other to to listen to episodes. But there we are. We probably remind this person of all the annoying things about their partner, but just amped up like maybe three or four times. So we're probably, you know, we we went, we might be attracting an unfair amount of. What do you think? What's going on? Should, should we analyze their relationship? <laughs> no, <it's not>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What does it say about her partner that he would do that? What kind of monster? <laughs> so, so yeah. Jack, if you're listening, stop stop doing that. You know, why don't you watch TMZ? Wear a pair of headphones, mate. Don't don't inflict this on your partner. Yeah. So that's one opinion. And here we have a positive opinion. But well, you'll see. It's a it's an interesting one. So more interesting than a gorilla condominium. Five stars. And this is from NFI Bujin. Sadly, despite the lengthy episodes, they do tend to skim the surface of some of the more important thinkers of our time. For example, rather than devote several episodes to the wisdom of Scott Adams, they only listened to and discussed a small sample of his work. It was the same with that philosophical savant, Joe Rogan, who only (laughs) received a trifling discussion. They really should spend more time on people like Rogan and Adams who have so much to offer the world. I sincerely considered withdrawing my Patreon subscription in favor of a guerrilla sanctuary, but in the end I remembered 
I can't listen to gorillas talk and the theme music is at least <laughs> original. <laughs> I love it. You know, for for a couple of moments there, I was wondering whether it was in jest or not, but uh, I eventually... <laughs> they turned it at the end. They pulled it out. So your That's questions good. were answered. Yes. Money well um, spent, mate. Screw those gorillas. Yeah. Yeah. As somebody who listens too much to Matt. So the next thing that we need to do, Matt, just before we finish, is that we need to say thank you to our patrons, our our lovely contributors. And you promised people that you were going to declare your undying love for them, each mm. individually. Isn't yes. that correct? I, I did make that um, statement. Yes. He publicly. did, yeah. So, so how am I going to do this? Am I going to tell you the names and then, or are you just going to say, as I say, each of the names? I think I'm going to do a deadpan, you know, deadpan just with my eyes locked with yours. And I'm going to say, I love you every time. Okay. Or okay. I, I, I could riff on it. We'll see. I'm not sure. We'll see how you feel. Okay. So we're starting with our galaxy brain gurus for this week and that is Karen Urquhart Karen just lashings of sweet syrupy love just being flung in your direction love you so much Magnus Gladrum Magnus I love you it's not weird at all I do and Tim Morris Tim Morris so much love but it, don't worry, it's platonic, it's pure, it's a beautiful thing. Thank you. And last for our Galaxy Brain Gurus this week, Ryan Walsh. Ryan, the earth is not big enough to contain the amount of love that I feel for you. Thank you. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Revolutionary geniuses, Matt. We have I'm, some I'm of tapped them. Out. I'm tapped out. I can't. I've got no more love <laughs> no, to give, right? <laughs> one, week, one week. You got to keep it going. I, I, I don't have the clips ready. So this this might be a segment that only lasts for this week. But this is the special thing that you're getting. <laughs> so revolutionary geniuses. Joe Hanna. Joe, I love you so much. Like if, if I could adopt you, I would. Even if I had to exchange one of my own children in order to have you in my family, uh, I would do it. That's, that's creepy, but good. And <laughs> Kenya McRae? Kenya, Kenya. Um, Kenya, I'm running out of ways to express my love, but just know that it's, it's deep and dying and very, very real. It's, uh, it's, it's beyond words, in fact. How much do you love Hamid Sandwich? Ham Hamid Sandwich. I'm not sure if that's a real name, but, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's likely I, not, but do you love it? <laughs> well, well, I, I love ham sandwiches, like ham with cheese and some pickles. That's, that's a great sandwich. My God, I love those sandwiches. I, I would well, do anything for it to have a sandwich like that. That's close enough. And, Anders Hayskill. How much do you love him? Anders, I actually love you more than all those other people that I talked about. In fact, in fact, the love I feel for them pales in comparison to how much I love you for being a Patreon. That's pretty good. And last is Patricia Sessi. Patricia, 
Ceci. I feel like, even though we've never met, the the love that we share through this special relationship of having the podcast and you being a Patreon is is eternal. It it goes beyond you know normal everyday relationships, and it's entered a transcendent realm. And I'm just grateful for it. Pretty good, Matt. Now last, you've got the conspiracy <laughs> hypothesizers. I'm not going to give you that many. I'll just give you a taster, but I'm enjoying this. This is easier. You're right. Um, so, so Matthew, you've got a Matthew. 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 Mm, um, just Matthew. Just, just Matthew. It's a bit generic, isn't it? But there's nothing generic about my feelings for you. I mean, they're... <laughs> uh, I mean, like I love a lot of, like I, I love a lot of things. Like I love, you know, lying in bed, drinking coffee, and playing on Twitter. But it just doesn't compare to the relationship we have. That's true. That's that's good. Cat Barnett. Oh, sorry, Cat Barrett. Cat Barrett. Cat Cat Barrett. I mean, I just hope one day we can meet, and then we won't say anything. We'll just stare into each other's eyes and just spiritually commune. One day, that day will come. Sue Sutton? <laughs> Sue Sutton. <laughs> Sue, Sue, Sue. <laughs> I'm running out of material, Sue. Um, so <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm just going to express my love through gentle humming. Mm. Can you feel good. those vibrations? Those, those vibrations, I'm sending them out to you. And, and the last one, <laughs> possibly. Forever. Forever. <laughs> 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 Phil, Phil Richardson. Phil Richardson. Phil Richardson. I mean, how I feel about Phil, it's not just love. It's more than that. It's respect. It's admiration. You know, it's just, you know, I, I see what he's accomplished. Um, and, you know, just I just respect the goddamn hell out of it, Chris. That's just, just I, man to man in a, in a very brotherly platonic way. I get that. I get that. Me too. Me too. I feel love for all of them. So all of you, all of you. How do you uh, feel about you. them, Chris? Chris, would you like to put into words maybe your feelings? Um, you know, you're no, probably grooming. You did, a, you did a good enough job. <laughs> so that's right. I, I appreciate them, Matt. That's all. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Thank you all for contributing. And if other people want to, they, they can go on the Patreon and they can do that. And other places that they could find us, if they were so inclined, we're on Twitter at Pod or I'm at C underscore Kavna. Matt is at Arthur C Dent. Um, we are on Instagram and Facebook. We post things there occasionally. We have a subreddit, which just is decoding the gurus and a Discord and and commemorative mugs and t-shirts and we don't have any of those things but maybe somebody that, will make them <laughs> all that doesn't matter the only, one thing you've got to remember is follow arthur c dirt on twitter and like all my tweets just that's like right them. that's true that's the one thing that's the action point that's the call to action call to um, action yep. like and retweet yeah so next will be the episode with elgin looking at reverend moon and um, so you have that to look forward to until then Go grovel at the feet of your muscle master. No, I'm going to grovel at the feet of all of those beautiful, beautiful Patreons. Mm -hmm. Grovel. Oh, very nice.